Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 356 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Today we are talking about low-fat keto for leptin resistance. Now, we've covered the ketogenic diet and our unique foodist medicine approach in so many episodes, like probably over 50, at least include that term ketosis in some way, shape, or form. We've discussed adjustments in macros, but we've never used the term low fat, right? That can sound pretty counter to keto, but hear us out. Today's episode is going to be huge for a lot of you listening and fear not, we are not alluding to the like 1980s low fat diet um, or products or whatnot. No Snackwell cookies. Those are not in the plan. 100 calorie packs, whatnot. Um, We're simply adjusting macros to still include whole real food and nourishing fat choices, but selecting more protein and encouraging the body to use fat as its fuel, its own fat um, versus overfeeding fat. Yes. So I think we've touched on this when we're troubleshooting keto in the sense of like, maybe you're consuming too many grams of fat. Maybe you need to level it back down a little bit. Uh, In our 12-week food as medicine ketosis program, we're often putting people instead of like that 75% of their caloric macros of fat at more of like a conservative 55 to 60 range, or even in the world of 50 to 60% of their caloric macros coming from fat. But in this case and scenario, we're really looking for someone that has a damaged leptin response or some significant leptin resistance. So this individual is not getting the satiety signals. They are constantly hungry. They're feeling burned out. And maybe there's something going on in their mitochondria in the world that they actually aren't able to convert and manufacture energy. So we're going to discuss in today's episode some nutrient deficiencies and this concept of mitochondrial toxicity and how this could also come into play with further driving this leptin resistance and really getting in the way with having outcomes or results from a ketogenic diet or any form of caloric restriction or diet protocol at that. Okay. I think this will be a good one for those who've been doing keto for a while and maybe aren't getting results or maybe, you know, they got those ketones on their meter, but really never saw those weight loss results as we discussed a couple of episodes back in our troubleshooting keto episode. Totally. Totally. So just as a friendly reminder for those of you that are listening timely on September 6th, we are opening a new program of our live 12 week food as medicine ketosis class. Uh, This is six live classes with advanced functional medicine topics. I will state that we have an array of different protocols out there. So if you're looking for body fat loss and improving body composition or gaining muscle mass, if you're looking for aggressive weight loss or just moderate weight loss, or maybe you're looking to actually gain weight and rebalance your hormones, we have a protocol for you. We even have adjustments for those that are pregnant, those that are breastfeeding, those that are dealing with Hashimoto's thyroiditis or adrenal fatigue. We take the ketogenic diet and apply unique functional medicine elements and help you to feel empowered and take your health to the next level. So in our six live classes, we will discuss things like dysbiosis, leaky gut. We will talk about cardiometabolic health, digging at things like insulin resistance and markers of true cardiovascular risk association. We will talk to you about detoxification, curving your sugar tooth and taming cravings and even things like getting your grocery list going and weekly meal planning and making it all happen in reality. Uh, six live classes with Becky and myself, and these run from noon to about 1.15 Central Standard on Wednesdays. We start just after Labor Day on September 6th, and this will run us all the way into November to make sure that we're feeling our best selves to end the year strong and also survive through those holiday season uh, events and engagements and maybe feel our best in some new clothes. 
Yes, totally. And that $299 also is going to include savings on supplements. So you get locked into a discount on supplements that you purchase during the time frame of the program, um, as well as labs. And those can be really significant savings, especially if we're looking at like the $250 off the MRT food sensitivity panel or a hundred bucks off of our advanced stool test. Um, so if you've been looking to kind of dig in more on various functional medicine topics or looking to run a lab or two on yourself, this can be a great way. And, and, you know, certainly in the Slack channel as well, that is included with that program, we can even help you to kind of troubleshoot some of those results, troubleshoot your supplement list so much more. Um, we love posting food inspiration on that and there's always really fun you know photos and um, non-scale victories and everything else that people are posting yes so we'd love to have you join it's just 299 dollars for all three months and you can go on over to allymillerrd.com under programs uh, virtual learning and programs you will find our live you want to see that word live 12-week ketosis class. The live class has the benefit of this Slack channel engagement and the savings on labs and supplements, and it beyond pays for itself. So if you can catch this in fall, join us for the live instead of the archive, and we can't wait to meet you. All right. So we talked about the concept of leptin sum in episode 75, all about carb cycling. Again, in 146, keto as a hormetic stressor and all about leptin. That was more of a deep dive. And then 190 was keto and women's hormones, where we addressed leptin again. Uh, But we might not have talked about it a whole heck of a lot since then. So I think Mm -hmm. we're past due to discuss what leptin is, why it matters. Um, Before we dive into that, let's just have a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, Carnivore Snacks. Yes. And I think Carnivore Snacks, I love when our sponsors are a fantastic fit for the topic. Uh, So Carnivore Snacks are single uh, product, two ingredients of Redmond Real Salt and grass-fed meat. So we're looking at no additives, no other seasonings, no marinades, no sugar, no heat from fire or grill. And this is far superior to a jerky. It is like what we've called a meat pastry, kind of melt in your mouth in their slow dehydrating process, which retains all of the nutrient density and the protein grams. In fact, you get more concentration of protein in carnivore snacks per ounce than you would if it was you know, raw or regular cooked meat. Uh, and so this is a great way to have protein density on the go in a clean anti-inflammatory source. They focus heavily on regenerative agriculture and they also source meat from farmers who apply these agricultural practices which mimics more of a wild approach to farming this means higher omega-3 fatty acids higher vitamin e higher carotenoids and so many different antioxidant compounds that we would see as opposed to those that would be done in a kofa or confined animal farm approach so now at carnivore snacks they've just opened up a membership which i've personally just started last week and it's fantastic it's just 59 for the year. It's called their Hunt Membership. And when you sign on for that $59, you actually right away get a $20 voucher to use. So it's pretty much $39. And then you get access to exclusive cuts. So I was first to know about their Wagyu. They're coming out with a beef tenderloin. Uh, The Hunt members also get uh, access to exotics and game. And they get some cash back on all of their purchases as well. So you actually build up your bank account, cash out when you want with a credit of 5% back on Carnivore Snacks when you're a member. So for those of you that are purchasing this monthly, it's well worth it. Again, it really ends up being $39 the year because you get that $20 feedback right away to use as a credit and you can build from there. You can also use Allie Miller RD when you check out with the Hunt membership or when you purchase any of the Carnivore Snacks. You can also do single purchases and subscriptions, but when you use Allie Miller RD, you will have additional savings and that's the best way for them to know that you learned about carnivore snacks from the naturally nourished podcast so go on over to carnivore snacks with an x uh, that's c-a-r-n-i-v-o-r-e-s-n-a-x.com use the code allie miller rd at checkout and save and while you're over there check out their hunt membership 
All right, super cool. Um, so let's talk leptin and just give a quick refresh of what exactly this is. Yes, so this is a hormone and it translates in the Greek language to the word thin. It plays a huge role with satiety signaling. And I've argued in constructs of the anti-anxiety diet that leptin also plays such a safety signal for our brain and body. And that in turn, it also plays a huge role with our HPA axis or that hypothalamic pituitary adrenal feedback. Leptin is going to be made from our body fat, so our adipocytes or our adipose tissue actually releases leptin. And then also we get leptin from consumption of fat and the absorption of that fat in our intestines. Uh, And so this is where there's kind of that lever of based on your amount of body fat, if you have higher body fat, you should have feedback in theory that you're satiated and fed and that you don't need to eat as much as opposed to someone that would have lower body fat. Uh, And then those individuals should have lower leptin levels, which should mean that they should have that stimulus to eat more or a little bit more hunger, if you will. So leptin in a balanced way will help with energy expenditure. It should inhibit or prevent hunger and regulate actual energy balance in the world of caloric burn. Uh, Leptin receptors have been found, though, in other areas, including areas of sexual reproductive organs like ovaries and pre-ovarian follicles. Uh, We know that, in fact, our fat stores play a huge role with our reproductive function, and that's why we often are saying keto can be a really great way to combat amenorrhea. You know, by eating more fat, we know that fat actually can support hormone rebound um, and that it also can tell the body that it's safe and can get back into that reproductive space. Um, And so we know that leptin has a fluctuating role in our menstrual cycle. And this is where we've talked about like in women's hormones, episode 190, you mentioned Becky, or episode 75 in carb cycling. This is where we've talked about that fluctuating leptin that's cyclical in women and how it will be the lowest during the menstrual cycle and the secretory phase and then the highest around the luteal phase so for those that run low leptin that's where we carb cycle at like day 19 or 20 or somewhere in that luteal phase to help to get that high elevation got it okay um so generally speaking we're looking at the keto diet as a way to boost and support our leptin levels and this is to which we attribute that like keto high, Um, right? The elusive keto high. Um, Let's talk about the keto and leptin connection. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that supports leptin production or leptin sensitivity, I should say, so it's a hormone. So it has that same lock and key mechanism, like we would see with insulin or like we'd see sex hormone. And so we're always looking at, you know, how it binds to the receptor site. Um, And so someone doing a ketogenic diet that is metabolizing their fat as fuel or losing body fat should be also getting a good balance of leptin sensitivity or their uh, leptin receptors should respond to leptin more favorable and they also should be getting higher amounts of leptin from that release or that catabolism and breakdown of body fat and that should be what helps to maintain successful weight loss um, or helps that individual to curb cravings or you know have that like invincible um, ability to comply and that's what we see in research study time and time again is that beyond caloric restriction, when we restrict carbs and we make ketones, we have more sustainable outcomes um, and less attrition in diet studies because it's easier to do, generally speaking, when you have that leptin docking or improved leptin mechanism. Yep. So that's the people who report, you know, not feeling hungry, not having those cravings. Um, but there's always those people who don't exactly fit the mold or have these expected results. And when we see a roadblock of not getting results, we might want to look into ways of resetting our leptin, right? Right, most definitely. And so for some people, you know, they're not going to get that keto high or they're not going to get that satiety response. And we can see excess leptin in obese or overweight individuals. And this excess leptin over time can desensitize the receptor sites, which can create this resistance. So that individual may be overeating, but they're not getting that trigger feedback of satiety or being full. And so they're constantly combating that chronic hunger, if you will. Um, And so when we look at these individuals, we're looking at 
those that are dealing with inflammatory response. Um, we're looking at those that often have dysregulated glucose levels. Um, and so, you know, when we're seeing more elevated insulin uh, or insulin resistance, we can also see that coinciding with elevated leptin and leptin resistance. And then on the contrary, those that are on the other end of the spectrum, which maybe don't do well with a classic keto, are those that run low body fat percentage, those that are often over-restricting, so maybe they're fasting too long, maybe they're high mental demand stress, not getting quality sleep, uh, maybe over-exercising, and we've mentioned this in this like allostatic load. They're basically pushing themselves beyond a place of safety, and so their leptin levels decline, um, which over time can drive anxiety, insomnia, in some, they will be seeing this insatiable hunger, um, but often in the lower percent body fat individuals, they might be overriding those hunger signals um, and they'll see more hormonal or mood imbalances from that low leptin. And that's where then we would employ surging glucose as a carb up to kind of slingshot and reset that leptin to get leptin kind of back on the playing field. Got it. So there's kind of a sweet spot. We don't want too much of this good thing. And we also don't want too little, right? Right. Um, so when leptin is too high, um, again, that doesn't mean that individual has unlimited satiety. It's Mm-mm. probably more of, you know, trending with insulin resistance. Yeah. Um, so there's leptin resistance. Uh, but when it's too high, we don't want to carb cycle or refeed. We actually want to work, you know, deeper into fasting, getting deeper um, into the state of nutritional ketosis and using those reserves as fuel versus overfeeding. Right, most definitely. And so that's kind of where today I think we've we've hit the low leptin stuff. And so if you're someone that's, again, running more anxious and lower percent body fat and not getting the keto high, maybe listen to those episodes that we prior, prior linked. Um, but today I really want to dig into this leptin resistance. Um, and so, you know, when we look at leptin resistance, one of the biggest things that we can see is increased calorie intake um, or white knuckling hunger, so constant hunger or um, you know overeating. Um, we can also see weight gain and increased body fat storage or stubborn metabolism. Maybe you're following your macros, but you're not seeing that result on the scale. Uh, we can see inflammation trending with this population, so they might also have an elevated C-reactive protein. And um, within this disruptive signal of not having that leptin satiety, this individual also can run anxious or depressed or have some of that mental health imbalance or even in the perimenopausal or menopausal population, this can further disrupt hormone balance. Because again, you're, oh, even though your leptin's running high in the blood, it's not docking to the receptor, so they're not getting that safety signal on that HPA axis either. Okay, um, so we've kind of defined leptin resistance there. Let's talk um, how we can assess for it. Like what are signs to look for? And then um, what are the actual like number values that we can see in the blood? Yeah, so you know we're looking at serum leptin levels, and um, the general reference range is between four to twenty-three nanograms per milliliter. Um, I generally like to stay at around fifteen or less, and I also like to see, especially females, over six as a minimum. Um, and so, if anyone's trending over fifteen in their blood leptin levels, we're starting to address more of a leptin resistance approach. We're going to start to dial back their amount of grams of fat and play with their fasting window so that we can try to metabolize body fat and get back into that leptin sensitivity. And yeah. You know, with leptin resistance, it's essentially that the receptors are flooded with an excess, again, that they become desensitized or resistant. And so what we want to do is make sure that the body learns that it's not in a thrifty starvation mode, um, but that it has sufficient fuel source. We're just teaching the body how to re-appreciate and tap into those stores. Um, And so we'll look at serum leptin levels. We'll look at triglycerides. We'll often see, just like we do with insulin resistance, elevated triglycerides. So anyone with triglycerides, over 80 would be an area that we'd want to address. Um, And then I would say HSCRP, so uh, high sensitivity C-reactive protein. But the direct diagnosis would be leptin levels in the blood. Got it. Okay. Um, And then let's talk all of the different kind of signs that we can see. Um, 
you know, that you might be someone who's dealing with leptin resistance. Sure. So this is someone that the biggest thing would be feeling unsatisfied after eating, even knowing that you've had, you know, enough protein, enough calories, etc. Or having food cravings, following a meal, having persistent snacking or grazing or feeling like you're mindlessly munching, uh, needing larger portions where you're actually getting like not satiety from the brain, but physiological discomfort from consumption. So like digestive disturbances can be seen with overeating. We can see elevated glucose and blood sugar dysregulation with these individuals. We see sluggish metabolism, so holding on to stubborn body fat. Uh, We see these individuals tend to be also running low energy and having lower motivation to exercise, which of course then perpetuates Mm -hmm. that lower energy. And then on the other hand of the spectrum, we see disrupted sleep because again, that leptin supports this safety mechanism. And so there's a little bit of dysregulated, we'll see often cortisol as well with these individuals. Um, They might be waking for eating in the middle of the night um, and they might be having more hot flash or hormonal mechanisms of dysregulation as well. Okay. So those would be signs that we want to look into this leptin thing. Mm -hmm. Um, What are some of the primary drivers of leptin resistance? Like, does it just trend with insulin resistance or is there more to it? I think insulin resistance is the most direct trend. And so we could kind of assume that if you've had a fasted insulin level run and that that's elevated, that likely your leptin level is elevated as well. I will share that in our cardiometabolic lab, which we'll link in today's show notes, we do include a serum leptin level in that panel. We also include a uh, C-reactive protein inflammatory marker. And that's the one that looks at details of like oxidized LDL and homocysteine and so many different markers of diabetes as well as cardiovascular disease. So if that's of interest, you can get that. But I would say probably an easier lab to request from your GP is just fasting insulin. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you see elevated fasting insulin or really any number above eight here, we're going to make a strong clinical assumption (laughs) that you have leptin resistance. Um, And then we're looking at also those that have uh, dysregulated estrogen. Um, and so individuals that, like I said, perimenopausal or menopausal, or also we can see this like even postpartum fluctuating hormone time. Um, and we can see with, again, changes with exercise demands on the body, but we do know that elevated estrogen or those that are on hormone replacement therapy and their estrogen isn't being cleared by the liver and the colon, we know high estrogen levels can interfere with leptin. Um, and this can contribute to perpetuating leptin resistance. We know fasting actually is really interesting caveat here. Fasting short term um, can decrease leptin levels. Um, but we also know that if we're doing erratic restriction, like for individuals that all of a sudden do like a three day fast or like a four day water fast, um, especially those that have more leptin resistance, that this can actually disrupt leptin balance over time and often can create more of this, um, food scarcity or, um, thriftiness. Thriftiness. Um, yes, okay. yes. Yeah. Thriftiness in, in the body, right? And so we think of that, like we've seen that in, in caloric burn or mm-hmm. metabolic research, that like thrifty gene. Um, and we do see that fasting with consistency. So to be clear here, fasting with consistency when the body's stress is regulated is good for lowering leptin or supporting leptin resistance or getting back into a leptin sensitivity. But if you're not generally fasting and then you're jumping into a dynamic restriction, that in itself can make the body feel more food restricted or unsafe and that does not always come out in the wash in a positive form. Sure. And then if you overindulge on the other end of it, that could be even worse, actually, right? For sure. Um, Sleep is a huge caveat. So if sleep is disrupted, we can often see issues with leptin resistance. Um, I would direct you back to an episode a couple weeks back that we did on updates on um, melatonin. And we also talked about circadian rhythm and chrononutrition. Um, I think that those are great resources for you. But sleep support could be a really good tool if you know that you're not having quality sleep and stress, like I mentioned. So if estrogen is off or if stress is off, chronic stress will actually inflame the brain, right? And this will lead to chronically low leptin as well as leptin resistance in those that have more of that body type. 
Um, we know, speaking of body type, excess adipose tissue or obesity are huge drivers, just like we see with insulin resistance. Um, we see also in the world of dirty keto, those that consume too many vegetable oils, actually, especially heated vegetable oils. This is like fried foods. Mm-hmm. Um, this will be a huge driver of leptin resistance. And remember, this could be you 10 years ago with your prior diet, maybe not to date, but you still could be seeing the aftermath of leptin resistance from you know your fast food diet of the past, et cetera. Um, and in theory, basically your fat starved, right? So you're overeating fat, but you have cellular inflammation from the industrialized oils mm-hmm. and that disrupts your satiety signaling in itself. Yeah. Remembering that like you kind of are what you eat in the sense of fat very much so that, you know, those oils become your cell membranes, right? Yes kind of a freaky thing. Yep, no doubt, no doubt. Um, And so I have a couple research studies that we'll link in the show notes that talk about either these trends with vegetable oils or the adipose tissue or body fat driving leptin resistance. Um, But these are the big areas. And I would, of course, mention high carb diets. And so we're not just demonizing, um, you know, eating too much fat and keto. We're definitely demonizing eating the wrong types of fats. So no vegetable oils, no oxidized fats, only whole food fats, and then dialing down the amount of fat consuming so that the body has to metabolize from your own fat reserves to create that sensitivity but we still do want you to stay out of a high carb diet which would be more of the classic low fat diet right Um, we see that if you have refined grains or fructose or added sugars that these can drive leptin resistance and then even anti-nutrients in grains and legumes so if even more of a whole food diet but doing um, you know wheat bread, even like things like Ezekiel stuff, et cetera, the lectins have been shown to have an anti-nutrient effect that drives more leptin resistance. Interesting. Okay. So it can be driven by food choice very mm-hmm. much so. Yes. Um, let's talk about some of the ways to start to reset and resensitize your leptin. Okay. So the first thing that you want to do is establish consistency um, because what you're trying to do with your routine and ritual is make the body feel safe. Um, And so that's one of the first things. And within that, we'd want to think of timing and frequency of eating. I have found that those that have leptin resistance do the best with a two meal a day structure. Um, I feel that the OMAD diet or the one meal a day can create too much of that scarcity and that thrifty effect. And I'm concerned about getting ample protein in that one meal. But I do find about two meals a day in about a six hour eating window is best. And I try to get these individuals to have that eating window from 6 a.m. until noon. Now, if you need to fudge that a little bit and it becomes 8 a.m. to 2 p.m., that might work better for some or even 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., but really capitalizing on that leptin resistance connection to sleep and that influence of trying to get some circadian rhythm with the sun, that's a huge way to kind of get a two-for-one in your benefits for leptin reset. Okay, so going back to that chrono nutrition mm-hmm. podcast where we talked about like having to you know, fast through dinner sometimes when we are dealing with excessive body weight, I think this would be an example where that's super appropriate. Absolutely. And, you know, you want that fasting to have the mechanisms of the anti-inflammatory effects, that autophagy, um, and that is where we tend to get some reset in our leptin receptors. So we definitely want to be mindful about frequency and reducing insulin stimulation, which would be from every time we eat and especially if eating carbohydrates. Okay. Um, And then regular exercise looks like that's another recommendation here. Yeah. So this will increase our levels by increasing our sympathetic nerve activity and improving insulin sensitivity. Um, This will actually even structurally impact our adipocytes on a functional level um, and the way that they store fat. So our adipocytes are up to release more leptin when they are exposed to the catecholamines or stress responding compounds that we see from release of exercise. Um, And then we know that exercise exercise also will do away with the excessive uh, leptin levels for those that are dealing with that resistance. Um, And so this would be a really good thing, but we don't want to spike cortisol too much with our exercise because that can trigger more of the belly fat and the leptin resistance. So sticking to gentle movement, um, ideally in the uh, morning would be appropriate if you have more of a dawn phenomenon and a higher blood sugar in the morning. 
Um, or if you're someone that runs um, with high stress response and cortisol peak in the morning, you might want to actually move your exercise to the afternoon. Um, and that might be before that final meal. Maybe your exercise is at two o'clock and this might be when your cortisol is naturally lower. And so getting a little pick me up of cortisol could be appropriate for you if you know that you deal with some adrenal fatigue. Okay. So shifting the timing too of your exercise, not just getting it in regularly. Yes, for sure. And then in the diet, um, we really want to focus on, like I said, low glycemic, whole food choices only, channeling savory. Um, We really want to make sure that we're starting off that first meal with 30 plus grams of protein in a savory form, ideally to set the palate. Because again, with that leptin hunger connection, this is a population that I would definitely say no non-caloric sweeteners. Uh, These would really disrupt that satiety signaling and our hunger and satiety hormones. Um, So no non-caloric sweeteners, channel savory, um, and really focus on getting ample protein and then just whole food carbs in moderate form. So we're talking about really moderate amounts of resistant starches, uh, maybe from things like uh, sweet potato, uh, looking at low glycemic berries, etc. And then the most dynamic change in the diet for this population from a standard keto is to reduce the fat and focus on the majority of the fat from actually monounsaturated sources. And then of course, still getting about 50% of our fat from pasture-raised saturated sources um, for lower inflammation. Um, And so this is really key as far as what would be an override of a classical keto, if you will. Um, Yeah, let's talk what those macros actually would look like and get really specific. So you said more monounsaturated fat, um, still getting the pasture raised proteins, which are going to carry with them the saturated fat. Mm -hmm. Um, but what's the like breakdown that we're looking at in terms of macro percentage? Yeah. So I've applied this with a good amount now of clients with good outcomes. And I tend to find that I'm keeping their protein as the most dominant macro. Um, and so again, just to remind listeners, protein is going to be the same amount of calories per gram as carbohydrates. So we're getting four calories per gram, whereas fat, you get nine calories per gram. And so when we're talking about macros in percent, um, you know, when we have a higher number of percent of protein, that means that the grams are far significant above the total grams. And you'll, you'll see that as I talk in, in both percent and grams, but just to kind of clarify that. So I've done any range between protein being between 40 to 60% of the individual's macros, um, carbs ranging from anywhere of 15 to 30%, depending on their metabolic flexibility and their exercise amount. Um, And then that fat ranging anywhere from like 22 to 30% of their intake. Um, And so when we're looking at that in actual grams, um, then we're looking at really trying to get protein at like 120 to 180 grams or more. Um, And this is maybe for like a 1600 calorie individual. Um, We're looking at keeping their fat between like 45 grams upwards of 60 grams. And then we're looking at those carbs ranging somewhere between maybe 30 to like 60 grams as well. Okay. So it's more of like a high protein Mm -hmm. keto than it is. It's not necessarily that low in fat, right? Um, Except for a lot of people eat 140, 160, 180 grams. Sure. (laughs) When we're coming from like a classic keto approach, absolutely. It's going to feel like, you know, very little. Um, But I think to the average person coming off of like a standard American diet, the fat's actually not that dynamically different. Right. It's, it's, Kind of, I mean, it's definitely not a zone diet, which is like 30, 30, 30, mm-hmm. you know, 33, 33, 33, or perfect thirds breakdown, um, because we are trying to keep that fat lower, but the carbs are still lower than the fat. Um, and it's just that the protein is scraping from the fat bank essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, you know, yeah, those who are used to slathering butter or using baking grease to cook everything, um, might look different, but let's talk about kind of what the food choices, how they would vary a little bit from a classic keto. Yeah. So one thing you're not going to be doing is adding bags of shredded cheese to everything Yeah. <laughs> and, or, um, you know, full cans of coconut milk or heavy whipping cream to everything, slathering butter in your coffee, etc. You're not doing a fat fueled coffee, right? This is someone that is instead sipping bone broth, um, or just adding collagen peptides to their coffee, or maybe a 
you know, splash of heavy whipping cream to color it, but not adding an ounce or two tablespoons. Um, for these individuals, I'm really using a lot more bone broth as a cooking method so that they can actually reduce their amount of oil or lard or butter or ghee that they're using in their pan. Um, and so for instance, they might be doing like, um, first a simmer of, uh, roasted broccoli with garlic in bone broth, and then kind of letting that deglaze a little bit and then applying like sprays of avocado oil. Um, generally I allow two tablespoons of pure fat choices throughout the day. Um, and so, you know, that could mean that if you're doing just two meals, that one meal has an, a tablespoon of olive oil in a salad dressing mixed with, of course, like a balsamic and garlic and mustard, et cetera. And that makes a really nice, like, um, robust, I guess, balsamic dressing. And then that individual would also be able to still use maybe a teaspoon of fat with bone broth in their searing or poaching of their salmon or something like that. And then they would still have two teaspoons of fat to use in their other meal, um, which could be ghee to cook your eggs in, etc. Now, again, you know, that's 30 grams of your fat just from those two tablespoons. And so getting to 65 or 60 or 45 to 60, 45 is a pretty tight number mm-hmm. because we're getting then the rest of the fats in our, like our wild caught salmon would have fat grams in it. Our uh, steak choice, so whether it's ribeye or sirloin, um, there's fat in, of course, our egg yolks as well. And so all these whole foods are going to contribute um, as well. And this is where then we actually would be shaving fat in some areas. So for instance, maybe we would actually be doing like a fat-free, 0% still quality grass-fed yogurt. But if we're having a hard time staying within those ranges, that might be a compromise we would make. And then we would add collagen peptides to that or grass-fed whey to get that protein number up, uh, a little bit of berries and cinnamon in there, and that could work just fine. Um, we can use about two tablespoons of nut butter or seeds. So if we're adding flaxseed or chia seed to a protein shake, that could be appropriate. It's just going to depend on how that washes out with those meat and protein choices throughout that day. So if you did chicken breast and as one of your protein choices with beets on your salad with goat cheese, with that dressing I mentioned, then you'd have more allotment for adding a tablespoon of almond butter into your protein shake, et cetera. Um, we're looking at using like a blend of whole eggs and egg whites. So I still, again, want you to get the choline. I want you to get the omega-3s, but maybe to get our protein goal, we're going to be doing like three whole eggs, add two egg whites, you know, and then maybe you'll be doing like a teaspoon and a half that's actually measured. So you get the eyeball of it, of bacon, grease, or butter, and then adding that to roasted veggies or, um, a couple handfuls of greens that you wilt into there. And then maybe a third cup of berries. Um, and so it's mindful compromises is Mm kind of how I word it. Um, and again, when I'm applying this, like I've worked with people that are kind of keto vets in this space. Um, and so maybe they're doing like the protein sparing bread and then I'll say, okay, yes, you can make that, which is like, basically it's Maria Emmerich's, um, like really famous bread recipe that a lot of people eat. Um, I make them pull the allulose out, um, because that disrupts their leptin resistance, but otherwise the egg whites, the egg white protein powder, baking soda, you know, that's okay. But then you can't add, you know, butter and fry it in a pan to make a grilled cheese, um, which is what that's usually used as a vehicle for is like these like panini, like, but, but really high amounts of slathered fat. So we have to instead maybe add deli chicken or sliced uh, protein from dinner and maybe make a yogurt spread um, or maybe use hummus as a spread on that, which would be a lower fat, still herbaceous, you know, um, flavor profile without that added saturated fat. Got it. So we're going a little bit leaner in a lot of our like protein choices here, um, but still feels very doable. Mm -hmm. Um, So like sausages or grass-fed hot dogs could be on the table as just a quick, easy, Mm -hmm. you know, weeknight meal kind of situation. Um, Grass-fed whey certainly could Mm -hmm. make it in, um, in, you know, a shake. And maybe we use an extra scoop of collagen protein in there. And then we're using, you know, almond milk or water, not canned coconut milk, right? Yep, 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 no doubt. Um, as we talked about in the Corona Nutrition, doing like the fa with shirataki noodles and bone broth would work really lovely for this type of a leptin-resistant population. 
I mentioned the Greek yogurt option there. Um, if using cheese, being mindful of like a tablespoon, again, measuring those things that are um, aioli is, is swapped out for Greek yogurt with herbs, mm-hmm. right? And, and so, you know, again, just getting out of some of the condiments and the cooking preparation, I think sure. are the biggest things to apply. And then just like being mindful of training the eye now that you've become a master of checking carbs, grams on items, like you'll notice sausages alone, like Teton Waters in Dakota, which are two grass-fed hot dog type brands are really appropriate for this type of an approach with I think less than three grams of fat per. Um, But then of course, like some sausages that are like handmade could be like 15 grams of fat per, et cetera. Yep. So getting really, you know, good at reading those labels, like you said, for the fat, not just the carbs here. Yep. And then when you're looking at grams, actually, again, because of that density of the fat um, and looking for 60% about from protein and about, you know, 20 to 30% from the uh, fat uh ratio, we're basically looking at grams to be like a four to one on an average. Um, so that would mean like a meal would have maybe like 60 grams of protein and then 15 grams of fat in that meal or 15 to 20, you know, it's give or take. Um, but that's just kind of like a rule of thumb. If you're looking at some products, that's kind of where you'd be leaning into, or at least a three to one of protein to fat. Got it. Okay. So like you said, the carnivore snacks would be a great option yeah, too. No doubt. Um, especially some of the like leaner cuts and whatnot. Mm-hmm. They have eye of round, um, okay. of course, exactly. Mm-hmm. So that would be the type of ratio you'd look at. And a lot of theirs have like, you know, upwards of 18 grams of protein per ounce. So you would sure. just be looking at that ratio, yeah, anything under six. Don't do the brisket, right? Yeah. Which is much more fatty or the ribeye um, or, you know, half and half of, of yes. that and something else. Okay. So I feel like that all feels very doable. Um, and as we mentioned, you know, keeping the fasting kind of static where we're fasting more toward the evening time. Um, I know a lot of people are used to doing like the keto coffee or fat fueled beverage in the morning. Is there anything like that, that we could kind of replace to close the fasting window in the evening that would be appropriate? Um, just cause that feels like a lot of time if we're like off of food from noon on or two or 3 PM and then have to sit through watching our family eat dinner, anything we could do to kind of take the edge off there. Yeah. So I think that that's a great time to sip broth. So I think that that would be reasonable to include bone broth during your fasted window. Uh, this would be a great time to do teas. Uh, so this could be any form of, you know, depending on the time you could at three or four, maybe still handle a little bit of a, a caffeinated tea that's depending on you. Otherwise it could be herbal and it could be a cold infusion with maybe some sparkling water and a lime wedge. Uh, we could also do hot teas and those that have like chamomile and things to wind down as we get into the seven, eight o'clock window. Uh, this is a time you could still absolutely do electrolytes. Uh, and so this is something that could work well, especially if you notice like cramping in the evening or whatnot, or doing like our electrolyte limeade would be something that would still be appropriate in this, you know, later afternoon or evening window. Um, all of those I think work really nicely. And then just remembering again, also that fasting is like a dial, not a light switch. And so as you ease into this, you might start by really reducing your dinner window to more of like a snack portion. And then you might swap out that food. Um, and you know, it's going to depend on of course, household dynamics, et cetera. Um, but you could also play with maybe like the cocotropics during mm-hmm. that time as like a sippable hot cocoa from wild foods. Um, that would be something to consider there. Um, I think all of those would work just fine. I like the bone broth idea because then if you haven't made your protein goal, Mm -hmm. you know, that's 10 grams-ish per cup, depending on the brand, could be more. Um, It could help you to hit that without any carbs or fat with it. So I think that can work nice. And same, I would say, with the Greek yogurt option. So maybe like a lower-fat Greek yogurt with added scoop of whey or collagen. Again, you know, you could keep this at a portion of like 160 total calories. Um, and you know, that'd be with adding the protein even into six ounces, um, and a couple berries in there and cinnamon. And so that's something that you could do as like your ritual when the family eats, you're still spooning something. And again, kind of that dial, not light switch. So are you pure fasting? No, but are you having an 800 calorie dinner? Absolutely not. Okay. I like it. Um, and then we also see benefits of, um, incorporating more antioxidants with supporting leptin regulation. So let's talk a little bit about maybe supplements and, and also food as medicine here. Yes. So, you know, reducing oxidative stress is going to reduce the inflammation, which will support the leptin sensitivity, which is what we want to go for here. Uh, so that's why I'm a huge fan of getting teas like rooibos or green tea or matcha in, which would all be very appropriate 
for this population. There is some really cool research out there on sulforaphane and how it can actually reduce obesity by reversing leptin resistance. I will link this research study and it basically goes into the NRF2 dependent mechanisms that require a functional leptin receptor signal and then um, how that influences this hyperleptinemia or excessive leptin output. So the sulforaphane compound in our broccoli sprout actually is able to downregulate excessive leptin output, which supports that leptin sensitivity or basically helps in recovery of leptin resistance. So if you know you have that elevated insulin and you're a candidate likely for leptin resistance, our Brocco Detox would be a really fantastic tool for you. Uh, so one capsule twice daily. And this would be especially a shout out for those of you that might also be in the population of estrogen mm-hmm. imbalance. Um, and so again, perimenopausal and menopausal women, um, or you know anyone out there that has had fluctuating estrogen levels, uh, this would be especially important to get on that Brocco Detox one twice daily. And then incorporating broccoli sprout into the diet, you're gonna get hundreds of times of the active compounds that you'll be able to get from eating the florets of broccoli. And also of course, in that supplemental form of our Brocco Detox, but it doesn't hurt as well to incorporate cruciferous veg. So I would say, you know, as always, I love that goal of, you know, half to one cup cooked cruciferous veg at least four or five times a week. Yeah. And then we could add, you know, broccoli sprouts or other like micro greens mm-hmm. in that family, I think could work really nicely too, um, just to ramp up that goal. Yes. And then uh, turmeric is another one that has promising research. So curcumin or the active component in turmeric actually can directly interact with our adipocytes or our body fat cells. And it has various mechanisms on also our immune system macrophages on a white blood cell level. Um, We've seen that curcuminoids can actually directly reduce leptin resistance and enhance adiponectin, which further supports then that distribution of body fat to be more thermogenic or that gray fat, which then further supports that sensitivity or utilization of fat as fuel. Um, We've seen also that the curcumin directly lowers inflammatory indicators and that this in turn can play a role with favorable outcomes with obesity, leptin, and resistin. Um, So I'll link that study as well. And so for that reason, I would say super turmeric would be a great thing to incorporate about two to three capsules daily added benefit again if you're someone that's dealing with daily aches and pains or just kind of the general impact of exercise or aging um, it's one that we've both noticed ourselves uh, when we reincorporate or have had out it's like oh i don't have that kinky uh, mm-hmm. achy wrist or something going on in my knees again um, so added benefit that you're getting the anti-inflammatory effects and then you're getting that leptin sensitivity Okay, and then once we harness inflammation and oxidative stress, we're going to start to see, you know, more sensitivity, and then the results will actually start to happen, even if they haven't in a long Mm -hmm. time. Um, Let's cover some of the other lifestyle support to help with leptin resistance. What else can we do? Yeah, so circadian rhythm is huge. So getting daylight is really important. As soon as you can, get that direct sunlight in your eyes. That's why I love having chickens because I have to walk down the hill and we're we're back and forth about the like Wi-Fi gate, which would be very helpful if we have a late dinner reservation or a night we want to stay out. That's but what I'm, we have. But yeah. I'm like, you I know, still go out and like let yes. them out of the run. Yes. But I at least know that yes. they're alive. I, I might still need the Wi-Fi yeah. gate, but yeah. still, uh, I love the ritual of like feeling like they're dependent on me. I must go down the hill and and open things and water them down and water my fruit trees and all that stuff. And so whatever you can do to create ritual to get outside, I think, and have that secondary accountability to just knowing it's quote unquote good for you to do um, is always helpful. So this is why tending to a garden or having some outdoor task, walking your dog, um, these are all great things that'll help with leptin sensitivity. Um, It gives you that safety signal and it really helps also in that connection of vitamin D Um, We know that there's often low vitamin D levels with those that have leptin resistance. So making sure that you have a level of 50 to 80 minimum in the blood or that you're taking our vitamin D balance blend um, would be a great thing to consider. And then um, just as important as daylight for leptin resistance is seeing the evening light. So keeping that blue light out of the household and bedrooms, um, spending some time outside in the dark um, if possible um, would be a great thing or switching from lamps to candles, et cetera. 
that dimness and, and sleep because of that is a huge role. Um, sleep regulates our leptin feedback. Uh, so if you're having disrupted sleep, you know, we'd really want to bring in probably the sleep support as supplemental tool to enhance that quality. Okay. And then, like you said before, really consistency with this approach, not trying it for a couple of days and then like reverting yeah. back to what we were doing or even a week, um, but really working on that routine, working on that safety signal, letting your body like know what to expect, yeah. I think is really important. I think that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. And then I always say with making these macro changes, a minimum of 21 day, if not a full 30 month day, 30 day, excuse me, one month commitment because there is a little bit of that recalibration and especially if your body is used to so much higher fat that satiety is going to take a minute to kick in um, with that level of leptin resistance that you're looking to get at Um, and so that's where it really helps to track daily what you're eating to make sure that you're meeting these macro goals because this is probably a remarkable shift and something we really want to see does the experiment work and did we abide by the guidelines of the experiment right so are we sticking to these said macro numbers and then what's going on and then keeping accountability with like a weekly weigh-in or body comp assessment would also be key okay um and then stress reduction i think in the vein of like teaching your body that it's safe yes um you know having some daily time for gratitude or prayer or some form of just peace meditation whatever it is i think super important there too no doubt because if the body doesn't feel safe it's not going to have that favorable leptin signal so this is where we could lean into calm and clear if looking on a supplement support maybe even our stress management bundle which we can link um, which would even have the gaba calm in there and the adaptogen boost and adaptogen boost has been shown to have favorable impact on stamina so if you're dealing with the fatigue as well with the leptin resistance that could be a good fit Um, But this would be huge. And this is why, you know, like we dance, we do things to release tension and held up energy and to teach the body that it's safe. And so shaking, any of these types of movements that get the body into a parasympathetic space um, are really important. And then layering in some of that functional supplement support to really get the the best outcomes. Okay. And then what about berberine? I know that, you know, can work wonders in the world of elevated blood sugar and our insulin resistant mm-hmm. population. So does that have a similar effect with leptin resistance? Totally. So this would be a huge one. Um, you know, I would say the the most direct maybe of all the supplements that we've mentioned, honestly, um, because we know that berberine can actually reduce fat accumulation in the body and can have a direct impact on down-regulating leptin synthesis so that we're not making so much when we have that ex- excessive resistant state. Um, we can see decreased levels of leptin, which will improve that leptin's resistance. We see that leptin is able to better play than its normal role in weight loss. And so people taking berberine directly tend to notice that regulation of appetite, which in turn will reduce food intake and support that energy homeostasis or that balance of energy burn and consumption in the body. And then we've talked in past episodes on the AMPK muscle impact of berberine and how that helps with blood sugar metabolism. But we also know in the leptin population that we're looking at this visceral adipose tissue, how berberine can actually play a role in the endocrine function of regulation. And so it can promote the reversion of the process of fat storing. And so it actually will, instead of support body fat accumulation, it actually supports body fat breakdown. Um, And this has a huge role. We've seen uh, metabolic syndrome being rebounded with just three months of use of berberine treatment and uh, levels of leptin significantly coming down. Uh, So berberine boost at four a day, like two twice daily with those two meals Mm -hmm. would be really appropriate. You could play with toggling your berberine to be with your first meal and then at the end of the day as well as an option. If you're watching with your CGM that, you know, that morning time is more of an area of concern or over bed, you start to see some spikes. Sure. Um, And then omega-3s also can have profound effect on leptin resistance too. Yeah, we've seen with omega-3s reduction of blood levels of leptin, improved sensitivity, and promotion of weight loss. And we've also seen adiponectin levels increase with omega-3s. So if you have leptin resistance, often you'll have too low of adiponectin, and you want to correct that ratio to bring the leptin down and the adiponectin up. So for this population, we'd say a tablespoon of our EPA DHA liquid and then two capsules in addition of the EPA DHA extra. So I generally do that tablespoon at rise and the two 
capsules in the evening time or with that final meal. Okay, and this is all on leptin resistance, which is key to address, you know, with this lower fat approach to keto and considering some of these lifestyle and supplement approaches. But another just kind of perspective or parallel along with this leptin resistance is that mitochondrial toxicity that you alluded to a little bit in the beginning of this episode. Um, So if our mitochondria are stressed, we might be seeing a buildup Mm -hmm. of leptin. So let's just kind of dig into that, how to know if that is you and what we can do. Yeah. And I think I will... I think we need to put out an entire episode on mitochondrial toxicity. We alluded to it a little bit also, I think, in the what the bleep is going on in our food system. So we can link that episode where we talked about just all these industrialized chemicals and additives basically shocking or distressing our mitochondria and how this could be the, the influence why maybe the same calories today aren't creating that satiety and are creating this kind of energy starvation and overconsumption. And so mitochondrial toxicity is this idea where the mitochondria or the energy factories of the cells of our body are damaged or are declining significantly in number. Um, Damage to the mitochondria can occur, of course, from oxidative stress. Uh, And we know that mitochondrial disorders arise when there's basically insignificant amounts of ATP created. Um, And so over time, then we can see beyond chronic fatigue syndrome, we can actually see damage to our cells, compromised tissue, and maybe irregular organ function. So when we're looking at a ketogenic diet, we've heard of this being a huge tool in neurological health, right? So the keto diet for epilepsy, for MS, for Parkinson's, and when we open up into those neurological conditions of multiple sclerosis, et cetera, we're seeing how ketones can decrease oxidative stress, right? there, that cleaner fuel source for the brain, so less brain inflammation. Um, we know that ketones directly can actually increase antioxidants, which can help to scavenge free radicals, and that a ketogenic diet, in theory, is the best way to boost our mitochondria but the argument that would be necessary in this is that it would have to be an antioxidant rich ketogenic diet so a food is medicine keto approach if you will Um, and we have to ensure in this population that if they're dealing with leptin resistance that they're approaching a lower fat ketogenic diet and that in order to support the mitochondria to use the fuel that we have to really nurture the mitochondria by driving direct fuel sources or nutrients that it requires for action and then also that we're ensuring that we are detoxifying and supporting our liver because again we make that connection of toxin accumulation in the body being one of the primary disruptors to our mitochondria Got it. So I think supporting detox would be a huge piece of this puzzle, and that might even be part of your transition right into this way of eating lower fat um, would be to either do the 10-day detox and do that high-protein, lower fat, um, or incorporate daily use of our detox packs, which are going to further support weight loss anyway. Yeah. And we've talked about how, you know, doing our 10 day detox tends to kick people out of stalls, um, or they start to see some of that stubborn metabolism move. And that could be connected to this mitochondrial process. And then, you know, the liver is a regulator of ketone production. So if you weren't making ketones, this can help in that conversion as well. And then when I think mitochondria, I think of L-carnitine and I think of CoQ10 for sure. So L-carnitine is the primary active nutrient in our boost and burn. And this is in our bundle of our keto essentials bundle of supplements. Um, But boost and burn would be a fantastic tool to bring in for this population because L-carnitine is a key nutrient for proper mitochondrial function. It plays a role with fatty acid oxidation and literally plays a role with ketone production. Um, And so we know that L-carnitine plays a role in protecting our cell membranes, preventing fatty acid accumulation. So that's that body fat buildup. Um, Protecting our cell membranes would be key because we talked about the damaging that that can occur to our cell membranes from oxidized fats. Um, And then again, we know that L-carnitine plays a role in ketogenesis or making ketones and then regulating glucose 
gluconeogenesis and eliminating toxic metabolites. So I would say if I'm someone listening to this episode and I'm picking two supplements, I'm picking Boost and Burn and the Berberine yeah. Boost. Both yeah, have yeah. the word boost in it for they a reason. Do. <laughs> uh, and you know that would be key considerations to really kind of rev that metabolic resistance, if you will. Um, and I'll link a really cool research study looking specifically on L-carnitine and uh, leptin resistance and that helping with regulating metabolic health. Got it. And then um, CoQ10 you mentioned could be brought in, you know, as a supplement, especially if there is any like cardiovascular disease yes. history, either personally or within the family. Um, and we could also get some CoQ10 in via organs, organ blends and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked in past episodes about that noble protein powder, or I'm sorry, it's an organ blend powder that you can incorporate into smoothies or protein shakes that could work well. Eating oysters, doing an ancestral blend of ground meats that incorporate organs, great ways to boost CoQ10. And then yes, if any direct family history or risk factors in the cardiovascular health world, especially if maybe you have an elevated inflammatory marker, this is where then you'd want that CoQ10 complex. Complex 200. Um, what's lovely about there is you're also getting added uh, vitamin E in there, which has been shown to support leptin um, sensitivity and turmeric. Um, so getting kind of a little bit of a, a double boost there. Awesome. Um, so these are just kind of some of the next level elements that you would get in our 12-week food as medicine ketosis program. In fact, I have a feeling that we'll be troubleshooting this kind of approach more and more with some of our participants and maybe some of our repeat participants. Um, really good call to action that you might want to try this program again and do a totally different approach to your macros. Um, but we really go beyond what macros are, you know, perfect for you and help you understand under what conditions you'd kind of change things up, um, what rocks to look under, how to troubleshoot your roadblocks for sustainable results. Yes. So we'd love to have you join. Um, go on over to AllieMillerRD.com and select the live keto class that starts September 6th. Again, if today's episode resonated with you and you're looking at kind of customized ways to troubleshoot keto and figure out how to make this metabolic hybrid machine of your body work best for you, we are so happy to partner with you in your journey and ensure that you get the best results possible. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.